the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Friday. A lot of clouds, a little sun, the balance of the afternoon, 30 the high, cloudy tonight, low 21. Cloudy uh, tomorrow, maybe a little snow late in the day or at night, 29 the high, and that could change over to freezing rain into Sunday midday-ish, 38 the high for Sunday. Sixers lost last night to Portland, 118-114. Joel Embiid, 35 points, 9 rebounds in the loss. Uh, ben Simmons, 23 points, 11 boards, 9 assists. They're at Phoenix tomorrow afternoon. At 3, Flyers postponed against New Jersey last night. They're home tomorrow. Uh, well, they're supposed to be home against Jersey tomorrow. And they'll play the Rangers on Sunday. And both of those also postponed due to COVID-related things. Victoria, how are you? Happy Friday. Hello. How you doing? Good. Ready for our famous Friday show? I absolutely am. We have a lot to do. We have a very special guest today. Yes, we do. Bring it on board. And we also have our pun segment to cap things off in the back My end. My favorite. Yes. But in between, let's get right into it. Our conversation with the one and only Derek Gunn. You'll know him from Comcast Sportsnet and NBC Sports in Philadelphia. And uh, he's got quite a story to tell. How you doing, sir? Good and you. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, we've known each other a little bit, kind of. Uh, you started covering the Eagles back in, what, 97, was it? 97. Wow. It's amazing. That that happened to be the first year I started as well, but you cover it full-time. I just did it part-time periodically. But, uh, yeah. So it's, And then we know we've seen each other down down there, and I've respected your work as well. And um, with recent changes in your job and all that and new endeavors, I Glad to have you on to kind of catch up a little bit. Um, share for a minute, if you would, just your path to Philadelphia uh, when you became part of the uh, original Comcast lineup. Well, I was working for uh, NBC in Pittsburgh, and um, I had left there uh, in April of 97. And so it was a mutual separation. Uh, I just felt, I felt that I had gone as far as I could go there. Um, so my wife and I said, you know what, we're just going to let, you know, God determine where we're going to go next. So May rolls around June, the wife and I, the three kids who were 10, seven and six at that time, we pack up, uh, one of our cars, a minivan, and we decided to, to just drive all over the country and visit family. We went back to my home in Wisconsin, went through Iowa, Colorado, kids got to see a lot of great uh, parts of our country. Um, and, in you know, New Mexico, Arizona, and we went to um, my wife's parents' house um, in in California, and we were there for oh several weeks, and still waiting for a call. Now it's approaching July at this time, and so I said, "Hun, I got to find a job." And she said, "You know what? When the right job comes along, uh, you know you'll know." And then after I said that, the next day I get a call from my agent, who was based in Los Angeles, and 
He says, you must be living right. I said, why? He said, you just had three job offers in the last 24 hours. <laughs> and, and one of them was this Comcast Sports Network. And I said, what is that? He said, he said, well, it's a regional sports network starting up in Philadelphia. And I'm like, I don't want to do any startups. And he goes, no, he goes, I'm, I'm telling you, you should look at this. Uh, it's backed by Comcast, which is one of the biggest cable companies in America. They're putting a lot into this. You can get it on the ground floor. And I'm still thinking, eh, I don't know. After I hang up with him, five minutes later, a guy named Tom Stathakis calls me from Comcast Sports Network. Says, hey, we saw your tape. We'd love to have you here. Uh, can we fly you in from San Diego? And uh, my wife goes, you got to go. I said, okay, uh, no problem. He calls me back five minutes later and says, you know what? You're enjoying your family time. Just just call me when you get back from uh, Southern California, and we'll fly you in. Well, I hang up the phone, and I'm telling my wife, I'm thinking, you know what? That's the kiss of death because usually if they call back that quick and say, hey, no rush, means they have somebody already in mind, closer, cheaper. Uh, so I didn't even think about it. So we stay an extra week in California. I'm not even, I'm thinking, okay, I'll look at one of these other two job offers. Uh, one was back in my hometown, Milwaukee. One was in Detroit. Um, and I took an extra week, stayed in California. Then we finally packed up the van, decided to go home. And on our way home, my wife said, let's go to Tennessee because you've always talked about your grandparents' farm and the kids have never seen it. They may never get to see it again. So we detour and go to Memphis, Tennessee, no way. and we stayed there. We were going to stay one night. We ended up staying three, and I finally get home like two weeks after I talked to this Tom Stathakis guy. My wife goes, you got to call him. I'm like, oh, I'm telling you, that job's gone. Well, I call him. He goes, hey, we've been waiting for you. Can we fly you in the next day? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I get here, you know, and, and I'm looking everything over, and um, we're all in trailers. Uh, there's wooden board planks going from a trailer to – what would become the studio. Um, all the offices are in trailers, and I'm thinking, what am I even considering here? Um, but I kept, while, while the positives and the negatives kept swirling through my mind, um, I think the deciding factor was, you know, Leslie Goodell drove me back to the airport, so she goes, well, are you coming? Um, and I said, I don't know. And, you know, I'd never met Leslie before, didn't know her. And she goes, no, I think you should come here. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'll think about it. And, you know, I get back home to Pittsburgh, and my wife says, I'm telling her, you know, people are great. This is what it looks like. She goes, you know what? I think we need to go. She goes, it's the fourth largest TV market. Uh, it's an all-sports network, something you've wanted to work for, like a regional ESPN. Yeah. So that was confirmation, and uh, we decided to come, and that's how I ended up here. And now when I got here, I was only expecting between me, my wife, and my agent – our game plan was to stay here maybe two, three, four years and then move on to something else, maybe back out west of Southern California. Well, as as the story goes now, three turned into six, which turned into 10, which turned into 23-plus, and I'm still, still here. So I guess this is where I was meant to be. That's amazing. Folks just tuning in, Derek Gunn's our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. You mentioned Leslie Goodell. She was actually on with us not too long ago. Um, did you? So you did, you'd never met her before. You both, I guess, spent time in California. She was a California girl. And did you grow up in California? No, you grew up in uh, Milwaukee. You said. So, yeah, grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yep. Okay. So, so there was just that was just she saw something in you that she's like, I, I'm joining this thing too. I, I like what I see. You should join in too. She was trying to, you know, recruit you. It's kind of yeah, interesting. She's like recruiting. Yeah. yeah. She goes, you know what? I think you, I think you should look at, consider this. I think you should do it. And I'm like, hey, and I'll give us consideration. And I'm still thinking more so, I don't know if I want to do this more so than, hey, this looks like a great opportunity. Let's do this. Yeah. 
but it wasn't until I got home and talked about it with my wife that that was the confirmation that I needed. Okay. Uh, you know, just like the Beverly Hillbillies, we're loading up the truck and <laughs> instead of moving to Beverly, we're moving further east uh, to Philadelphia. I love uh, that. So that's what we did. I love that detour story. My wife, we, we, we homeschool our kids and we drove at her encouragement. We went from Philly one year for three weeks and drove to Ohio and the Creation Museum in Kentucky, I think. And we have family in Chattanooga and just we, and it was and then in Florida to visit my parents and then up the coast. And it really was great. By the time we got back, we really felt like we had a family reset. It sounds like that would have been a wow. really great trip for you. What you guys did was really wise before launching into something new. So, Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because when we decided to pack up and just, just drive all over America, you know, we were also homeschooling our kids at the time as well. Oh, wow. So it made it a lot easier. So the kids, you know, it, it, was, it was a vacation as well as a learning tool as well. You know, when we, get, when we go through different states, we would ask the kids about different things, the capitals and things like that. Um, and so, you know, it, it was a learning tool as, uh, as well as just a family getaway. That's great. That's good. Talk about your craft a little bit too. Your time at Comcast, the 23 years, you mentioned Leslie, I guess Michael Barkan, was it Neil Hartman? I'm trying to remember the whole team at the beginning. And uh, did I hit, how many were there at the beginning? There was nine of us originally. There was uh, myself, Leslie, uh, D. Lynham, Michael Barkan, Neil Hartman, Pete Christie, uh, Bruce Casella, yeah. uh, Pat Boyle, and Ron Burke. Okay, that's right. It was like nine of us, yeah. That's right. What was important to you, uh, you know, as far as your craft goes from, if you look back at yourself just professionally from when you started, and because it wasn't your first job, but 23 years, you learned some things, and you were very well respected over the years as an Eagles reporter and, and, and the hosting you did. Just uh, from a craft perspective, what was important to you when you started and maybe some things you learned along the way? To make sure that I achieved credibility. Uh, because when I decided to take this job, I did my homework. I asked people who had been in Philadelphia, who knew Philadelphia. And I found out right away, Philadelphia fans are not only passionate fans, but they are also very knowledgeable fans. So you can't pull the wool over their eyes. Hmm. And with us being the new kids on the block, we were going to be critiqued differently because, you know, most of us, you know, had come from different parts of the country. You know, Ron Burke, Neil Hartman, uh, Michael Barkin had all worked in the Philadelphia market, so they knew the landscape, and, and fans knew them as well. Dee Lynham was known because her dad had been a coach with the 76ers, but the rest of us, we were coming from different parts. You know, Pete Christie was coming from Texas. Um, Pat Boyle was, was coming from Connecticut, I believe. I was coming from Pittsburgh. Uh, so, you know... You know, we, we, I wanted to make sure that I was not only just competitive, but that I brought with me the same traits that I had in other markets. I worked at NBC in San Diego, CBS Milwaukee, NBC Pittsburgh, uh, uh, CBS in El Central California, well, I, where, where I built rapport with players, with front office people, coaches, um, you know, uh, trainers, uh, and gained their trust to get an edge and maybe bring a different perspective than the general consensus had, and I was able able to achieve that. Now, initially, every time, you know, we'd go out and cover the Flyers, Sixers, you know, Phillies, you know, PR people would look at you a little differently, like, who are you? And, you know, okay, Comcast Sportsnet, what do you, what, you know, what, what do you think you're going to get here? Right. And as we built, as we built relationships, uh, and, and obviously when we started carrying the Sixers games, the Flyers games, the Phillies games, we had a little bit better inside access to things and relationships to people because we were there every day. We were carrying the game, so it was a partnership. 
And, you know, the Eagles, we eventually had a partnership with them, but I had to prove myself to the Eagles because, as you know, the Eagles are, are, the, are the kings of Philadelphia. They can go 0-16, but, but football is king in Philadelphia. Pro football is king in Philadelphia. And so I knew I had to separate myself uh, from the rest in terms of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to bring. And how interesting it was that um, after that first year in 1997, uh, my bosses, Tom Stefakis and Jim Cudahy at the time, said, hey, we want you to start covering the Eagles full-time. And, and then I said, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to be on the road covering them away and home. And they said, oh, we didn't even think about that. Okay, if that's what you want to do, um, then we'll do that. And that's how, you know, outside locker room post-game interviews was born. Um, but what little did they know was that I already had those type of relationships doing uh, uh, football shows in Pittsburgh and covering not just football, but a multitude of other shows in Milwaukee and San Diego. But football was my primary gig. So it was like a natural. So when that door opened up, um, I knew that was the perfect niche for me. Derek Gunn's our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, and on the app, longtime Philadelphia broadcaster and reporter, Comcast and uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia covered the Eagles for many years. And we'll keep our conversation rolling in a moment, including about last uh, last fall and the transition from working there to what's going on now. Much more coming up. It's Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. It's 416, Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. If you've watched the Philadelphia Eagles at all in the last couple of decades, can't miss our guest who has done many an interview, many event, many a forum. Derek Gunn uh, has talked to all kinds of players uh, on the Philadelphia Eagles over the years. Any player or two that comes to mind over the years that you appreciated in particular because you knew that they were going to be uh, thoughtful in their responses or honest or whatever it might be. It's just a natural conversation allow you to have that much better of a conversation. My goodness. Um, I've been asked that question so many times, and I could name you 30 players <laughs> okay. from, from Hugh Douglas to Hollis Thomas to Corey Simon to John Runyon to Chad Lewis uh, to Lito Shepard, Sheldon Brown, uh, Jeremiah Trotter, Brian Dawkins, uh, the list goes on and on, all the way up to Brandon Graham, uh, Carlos Carlos Emmon. Uh, it, it, it was Asante Samuel. I can sit here and just recall time and time again when I knew when I put the mic. Bobby Taylor was one of my all-time favorites. Um, when we initially started post-game outside the locker room, I said, okay, it's going to be like pulling teeth initially, trying to get players to come out, especially after they spent 10, 15, 20 minutes in the locker room being barraged by, by questions, the same questions over and over. But as I built the rapport with these guys, they understood what my job description was. And 95% of the time, most of them were willing. Some of them will say, you know, hey, Gunner, I've got family waiting. I can't talk this time to you. Or, you be gone, I'm not talking today, you know, especially after a tough loss or, you know, something like that. But for the most part, the revolving door of players, once, once word got out, of what I was doing, and because I was a constant presence in that locker room, it made it so much easier to be able to do certain things and to get certain things out of players that other people might not have gotten. Um, and obviously, you know, ever so many years, um, when, when, the, when the roster would change, before it would change, new players would come in and other players would say, hey, this is one of the guys you can trust. And players knew that I was going to ask them tough questions when I had to, 
but also I was never going to do them wrong, embarrass them, uh, release something that they didn't want out. You know, a lot of you know people don't know that before the cameras, uh, we, before we would go live, I would have conversations with a lot of players about things they wouldn't talk about in the locker room. They didn't want to talk about on camera, but it gave me a better perspective of what happened in game situations. Now, I would never bring it up live on camera, but once they found out they could trust me with this information, they would actually open up even more so. And when we started post game live, it was you have to go back. It was it was Dawkins, it was Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor. That that, got, that, that was a collection of class. Ike Reese, one of my all time favorites. It was a collection basically of class clowns. All I had to do was put a mic in front of them. Sometimes <laughs> they would take the mic from me and, and steal the show. And I'm like, this is almost too easy. And that's you know, and people gravitated towards that because it was the side of players they never got to see. And so it just became a domino effect. Um, other players would see what players were doing. Then they would want their airtime as well. And we would, we would talk serious. But as you know, a lot of times it became a comedy act. And that's, I think, what made my element of post-game live uh, so successful was the fact that I was able to get players to loosen up and to say things and to do things. Um, and we would talk about what they were wearing. It wasn't just X's and O's. Sometimes I'd bring a family member in. Um, you know, Andy Reese's wife used to give me grief all the time. Some players' wives would give me grief all the time about, about holding their, uh, their husbands up when they're trying to get home with the kids. And it just became a cult following after that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Derek Gunn's our guest, uh, Tim DeMoss, on WFIL. I, I'm thinking there's a, a verse in the book of Proverbs 2211 that says, He who uh, loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. And I think the, the, you know, the players felt that, the, to your point, it's a, it's a, a line to walk because you're reporting your information. You need to ask tough questions sometimes. But there's a way of asking them in a gracious way, protecting them too, yeah. right? That they know that you're yeah. not going to dime them out or you're going to be just first for the scoop or you're trying to, like, you know, get ratings per se while still having sure. a story to tell, right? And then they can feel safe with you, like, all right. I trust that you're going to present this in an accurate way. And then who everybody wants that, right? Nobody wants to be misrepresented. So if they can feel safe with you, it keeps going from there. I always tell people that if I ever wrote a book about the inside mechanisms of what I know about the Philadelphia Eagles, I would have to go into witness protection program because <laughs> so many people would come looking for me, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's a big part of it. Um, there are so many times, when I was on a store, uh, when I had something, I could be uh, breaking news, and a player or somebody in the front office would say, "Hey, be gone! Don't we don't want that out of there?" And then, uh, you know, you know how it is. Once since the advent of social media, nothing's a secret nowadays. Yeah. And you know, I would say at least seventy-five percent of the time, two three days later, somebody else on a national level would break the story, and I would go back to that individual or a collection of people and say, "Talk on it." See, you made me sit on it and we're like, Degun, we're sorry, but we didn't want it out at that time. But see, when you do that, and when you look at the history of stories that I've broken, it's because I've never broken that unwritten pact with those with those people, with the organization, not to talk about certain things at that particular time. So they end up throwing you a bone later down the road. And when I go into that building, and I'm not sitting here tooting my own horn, but when I go into the building or when I go into the locker room and when front office people and athletes say, hey, this guy here you can trust, 
you know, to me, that is the biggest compliment more so than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another scripture talks about, you know, of course, the, the love chapter that's so familiar with many folks, uh, love is patient, love is kind. Further down, it says love always protects, right? And- that's right. I think a lot of players, too, are leery of the media, especially when you're in a big market like Philadelphia, because you do have a contingent of people who are out there just trying to get a name for themselves. They put out false information. They create unwarranted controversy, and it makes the players become more defensive. And, of course, when you're a player coming into this market, and you know it's not like going to Green Bay or Cincinnati or Buffalo where you have five, ten, maybe 15 people in front of you daily. You know, you're talking about a market like New York and Philadelphia and Chicago where you have in excess of 40, 50, 60 people sometimes crowding around your locker, and you don't know who's who a lot of times. So when you get wronged by one individual, you lump everybody into that same boat. And that's understandable, and I'm, I'm not so sure I wouldn't do the same thing. You know, so, um, you know, unfortunately – uh, some people, a few people make it bad for a lot of good people that are just trying to do their job to the best of their abilities. Yeah. Last August, of course, the, the change came, the call came. And uh, after 23 years, uh, one door is closing. And then you're uh, you know, up next. I saw the video on your back patio with your grills. <laughs> and uh, you, <laughs> you shared about, I don't know what's next, but uh, that you've been blessed to do. No animosity, you know, against NBC or whatever. And um just share anything about that transition, and I'm, sh- I'm guessing you saw some of that coming between COVID and how things had been going prior to that. But how how you handled that, your wife's involvement, God's leading, and all that, you know, processing and moving forward. Well, the funny thing is, uh, when I got the word from my office, my wife was in the air flying to, to San Diego to go visit her family, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to tell her this? Because she'll, she, first thing she'll think is, are you joking again? You know. Mm-hmm because I'm always joking about stuff. Um, But when the bosses called me and told me, unfortunately, this is the toughest decision we've had to make up to this point, Uh, but because of the economic numbers, and especially prior to that, when the NFL announced that players, uh, teams would not be allowed, uh, uh, the media would not be allowed inside locker rooms, would not be allowed one-on-one interviews, which is a big part of what I do. Uh, The wheels are already spinning. Uh Uh-oh, I could be the next on, on the boat uh, to be released. So I was kind of mentally preparing for that. And as the bosses, you know, gave me the information on the phone, the more they talked, um, the more peace and, and, and calm and tranquility I had about the whole situation. I wasn't angry. I wasn't tense. Um, there was a peace and calm that came over me right away because it, it immediately hit me, walk by faith, not by sight. And, you know, when, Man closes one door. God always has opened another door for me. And I've shared that time and time with people, and I've lived by that, and I've publicly stated that time and time again. Um, you know, maybe it was time for me to depart. Maybe something's better for me is in store. Uh, so after I talked to them, I just sat and reflected on it. And so, wow, it's amazing how, you know, all of a sudden the light switch is turned off on something that you've been doing for 23 years um, here in Philadelphia. So what are you going to do next? And so I told my wife, and she says, okay, well, you know what? It's in God's hands now. You know, what we can't control in the natural, he can control in the spiritual. And we've seen it happen. We have too many testimonies in our lives time and time again about God has provided a way for us when we didn't know uh, how we were going to handle certain situations. And, you know, I, and I always share when I speak to people in, in youth groups and things like that, I always share with people, I say, you always have to remember, God is not always on our time, but he's always right on time. 
When you put your faith in him, he will never fail you. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 11 is so important to be, you know, I know a plan I have for you, plan to prosper you, not harm you, plan to give you hope in the future. And he has always been there for me in that regard. So I had to reinvent myself. And luckily, I had enough of the right people around me uh, to help me start my own corporation. Um, you know, Channel 3, CBS, all of a sudden, uh, 97.5, all of a sudden they came to me. I had 23 years worth of severance. So unlike a lot of my colleagues, which I really felt for and hurt for, who'd only been there four or five, six years, didn't have much to fall back on, and they had to scramble in a pandemic on what they were going to do to find a job to pay their bills. I had 23 years of equity built up. I knew I had breathing room, and so, you know, with with a wife and in my house now, you know, um, I have a daughter, a son-in-law, and my other son, my, my, my other son just moved back home. So there's five adults, three dogs, and a two-year-old demolition expert all living under one roof. Um, you know, I knew God was going to provide a way for me. And so I've, I've maintained it. So I started my own podcast. Uh, I was work, I'm working for, I'm still working for CBS three once a week. Um, I worked for um, 97.5 during the football season. I'm still doing voiceover commercials for them. I worked for uh, Jeff Moshe, Adam Kaplan's Inside the Eagles Network. I did a few other things. So, you know, while I have this income, I'm still I'm making money on the side, which is now going towards my corporation. Something that my wife and my agent have been pushing for me a couple of years ago, you need to start doing a podcast. And I kept saying, All right, okay, I'll get to it. But, you know, as you know, when you have the umbrella or the parachute of a full-time job paying you well with benefits, you keep putting other things off that should have been important then that now all of a sudden are very important to you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, God provide, provides a way. When you put your trust in him, when you walk by faith, not by sight, and you put your trust in him, it's amazing what he can do for you. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand when you say walk by faith, not by sight. There's too many of us who live in the world for the world. Once you profess your faith, you can live in this world, but not of this world. You don't have to live of this world. There's a different calling for you in your life. And when obstacles come, in, when, when you have obstacles in your way, and you know how to handle it a lot better, it, it's not like life or death. It's not a panic situation. You handle them calmly. You sit on it. You pray on it. And you constantly pray on it. And you wait. Because as you know, human nature is we want everything right now. We need it right now. Because of the society we live in, because of technology now, with the advancement of computers, and all these smartphones and all these apparatuses where you can do everything at a push of a button now. We are in a society where we got to have it right now. A lot of times you have to step back and wait and breathe and don't panic because God will test you at times to see how strong your faith is. He will test you. And in a lot of ways, he's testing me now because I don't know what my next full-time venture is going to be. But I know it's coming. It could be tomorrow. It could be June or July. I don't know. But I know it's coming so I've learned over the course of years and years and years, and with my, my wife being a minister as well, we have learned that panic is not going to expedite the decision any faster. If anything, it's going to cause tension, dissension in the home and, and among people that you love. So why go that route? Take a step back. Take a breath. Put your faith in the man above. And when, when you've seen some of the things that he's done for you in the past, why in the world would you approach it any other way moving forward in your life? Amen. Derek Gunn, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, our famous Friday program. Just a quick check on the forecast. A lot of clouds, basically the next several days. 30 the high today, 21 the low tonight. 
May get some snow in the afternoon tomorrow. Light snow, turn into freezing rain or sleet tomorrow night into Sunday morning. 28 the high tomorrow, 38 the high on Sunday. Sixers lost last night. They're at Phoenix tomorrow afternoon at 3. Flyers have their next couple of games postponed due to COVID-related things. Also, the Houston Texans releasing star defensive end J.J. Watt. He would look good in Eagles green. Quick break. We'll keep our conversation rolling with Derek D. Gunn, well-known for all his time on Comcast Sportsnet and NBC Sports covering especially the Eagles. More to come. It's Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. It's 434 on The Tim DeMoss Show. Pleased to have Derek Gunn, longtime sportscaster, broadcaster, host, especially with the Eagles uh, for Comcast, also NBC Sports for, I guess it's 23 years, 23 plus years. Last August got the call that his services would no longer be needed, and we're just kind of getting the backstory, even coming to Philadelphia in the first place, his time here, and uh, and moving forward, too. want to kind of get into that a little bit, where folks can find uh, Derek's coverage and all that. But you've been mentioning a very important part of this, your walk with the Lord, and also your wife, who's played a big role in the transitions in your lifetime. Share about your wife a little bit and, and uh, you know, how, how that has factored in along the way. Well, she was already a Christian when I met her at the age of 19. We ran a, a, a psychology class together in college out in California. Hmm. And, you know, when I, when I approached her to, to start dating her, she would always say, you know, the man I marry has to be a Christian. And I said, yeah, okay. Well, I thought, you know, my streetwise, I'd win her over anyway. You know, I'll tell her <laughs> what she wants to hear, you know. But as I continued to get to know her and understand she would not waver in her faith, I had two options. Number one, either to become more like her and and, and increase my faith in the Lord, or I could just keep doing what I was doing, living in the world, and keep moving around and just dating different women. Um, But something was in my spirit that this was the right woman for me. And so uh, we ended up getting married at a young age. We were 23 years old. You know, two kids have no idea what we're doing. And I'd, and I promised her mom, you know, mom said, okay, but if you marry him, he's going to take you away from California. And she said, no, mom, he promised me we would never leave California. <laughs> well, four months after we got married, we moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and so I'm thinking this is going to be a short marriage. But, uh, you know, and she's real close to her family, just like I am. Yeah. And, you know, I knew that a lot of times she was homesick. Um, and, you know, and she would miss certain holidays that were just given with her and her family. Um, and, and, you know, I, I tried to do the best I could to get her home whenever I could. And then all of a sudden, by the, you know, by the time we got to Pittsburgh, she decided to get Lord and called her to get into ministry. And she started studying for that, and she got her license. And since we've been here in Delaware, she was a children's pastor at a church we were at in Wilmington. Okay. Um, then when we moved, a friend of ours uh, from our former church, um, he felt God calling him to start his own church in Hocaston, Delaware, uh, Trinity Community Church. And, you know, he was 10, 12 years into that church when he kept asking my wife, I need you to come here and take over my youth program. He had known what we had done in children's ministry at our, our former church. Um, and my wife goes, I don't want to do youth. Um, and he kept saying, I need you. And she finally, you know, relented and did it. And she goes, I need your help to do this, and as she has done in all ministries, just about. I need your help you know, to do this. And so uh, she did that. And now she's an associate pastor at at our church. 
and she has such. If anybody who has met my wife or knew, knows my wife, automatically knows she has such a heart for people, mm. and she's always giving of herself before she gives to. She's always giving to others before she gives to herself. That's um, and that has been her her life's passion, and so that's the that's the path she has chosen, and that's the path she has walked, and, and, and I as well. Um, I can't even begin to tell you uh, during the course of our marriage how many times when we needed certain things um, just to get by, but we would give to other people before we would give to ourselves. Um, and, I'm, and again, you know, I hope people out here listening don't think I'm sitting here bragging on myself because I'm not. Yeah. I'm just sharing with you uh, in general how when you give, when you give from the heart, God gives back to you twofold. You know, I can't, since we've been here in, in Delaware where we live, I can't even begin to tell you how many kids we've taken in as our own, and several of them have lived with us and, and finished school school with us, and we're so happy to see them now with degrees in, in marketing and accounting and so on and so forth. Um, and, you, and, and so because we have given of ourselves, and God has blessed us tremendously in our life along the way, um, you know, we continue to do that. We, we, we continue to give where we can, when we can. Uh, right now, we, our church uh, is in the midst of being a part of a group of churches that uh, several times a month, uh, our youth group and our old, oldest, older group, adult group, we get together and we, we make sandwich, lunches for the homeless in conjunction with the Catholic church and other churches in the area. So we're now helping to feed the homeless and things like that. And, you know, we, we live in a time right now where we never thought we would live in and we don't know where it's going from here. And we know a lot of people out there are hurting. A lot of people have not recovered from job losses since last spring. A lot of mom-and-pop businesses uh, went under, will never open again. That had been around 40, 50 years uh, and, and will never see the light of day again. A lot of people still waiting for callbacks uh, to go to their jobs. <clears throat> but uh, the one good thing I love about our church is you have a body of Christ that is always stepping forward to help in the community, always donating. My wife started a um, a uh, fund to help uh, raise uh, toys for, for kids who are in foster homes, and the response from our church was incredible. It was overwhelming. Uh, we worked with this organization in, in Delaware, and just overwhelming how many people. They just completed a sock drive, and the amount of socks that my wife got people at our church to donate was incredible. And so we just keep giving and giving. And, you know, unfortunately, as you know, we live in a society where a lot of times people give just from the pocket, expecting something in return. Yeah. But when you give from the heart, you get it back in more ways than you ever could imagine. And so that's the way we've raised our three kids. And that's the way we continue to live our life. Wow. Amen. Across the board, as you're speaking, just these different scriptures are running through my head. And God is love. And the greater love has no one than this. They lay down his life for his friends in John 15, and I think in James 1, mm. right? And, and and in James 1, it says, uh, a religion God our Father sees as pure and faultless is to uh, take care of widows and orphans in their distress and also keep yourself from being right. polluted by the world. These are all That's things, right. you know, what and you look back on your life and you say, you know, what you and your wife, you look at each other in your eye, each other's eyes and with your children and say, this, you know, when you pass on and say, Lord, we lived this life and you know, had a lot of wonderful experiences professionally, but you're leaving a real legacy for your for your kids and all the investments going to pay pay forward many you know many fold <laughs> you get to heaven you have plenty of time to talk to people that you know you had a chance to impact now what a blessing what a you blessing. know one, one of my one of my favorite stories I love to share is back when we were living in Pittsburgh I'm at an IKEA and this guy with his little daughter couldn't be more than five or six years old approaches me as I'm going to IKEA says do you have any change you could spare 
Uh, my daughter and I haven't eaten in a few days. And so I just reached in my pocket. Something just told me, you know what, don't judge, just give. And I reached in my pocket, pulled out a $5 bill and said, here. Well, he walked past me. He was so appreciative. Now, he couldn't have been past me more than 10 seconds. And as you know, in an Ikea parking lot, you know, it's wide open. So there's no way he could have gone into the store without me knowing it. There's no way he could have walked behind me um, and gotten away from me without me seeing him walk away in a distance. And I turned around. He wasn't there anymore. And then, you know, I just thought that just stayed with me. And then a few weeks later, I'm listening to a sermon at church, and a pastor talked about uh, in the book of Hebrews how it talks about how continue to entertain strangers because you never know when I've sent an angel before you. Mm. And so since I've been here in, in, in Philadelphia working for Comcast slash NBC, whenever I would go on road trips with my, my crews, homeless people would approach me, and my crew would always ask me, why do they always approach you but never us? And I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And, and most of the times, if I have a couple of bucks in my pocket, I give it to them. I don't ask them. You know, I know for a fact, I would bet money on it, that some of them are going to take it to buy another bottle of alcohol or going to um, buy drugs. That's not for me to judge. That's between them and God. And even today, everywhere I go, I'm always encountering homeless people. And most of the time, I'll reach in my pocket. I'll give them a $5, some of them, maybe a dollar or two. Stoplights, even you know, yeah. people stand. I hate to see people standing in stoplights. It breaks my heart, and I, I'll, I'll give them a couple of dollars when, when multitudes of cars will just keep going. I'll give them a couple of dollars. You know, yeah. um, I don't know what it's like to be without. I hope I never have to go through that. But I'm not here to judge. I'm here to help wherever I can because I know as of now I have somewhere else I can get that dollar back or increase that dollar. Um, I don't know what their situation is. So, you know, and that's one of the things every time I encounter a person who approaches me about that scripture comes to mind in Hebrews where it talks about continue to entertain strangers because you never know when I've sent an angel before you. Good stuff. Derek Gunn, our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show, longtime broadcaster of Comcast Sportsnet and NBC Sports Philadelphia, especially covering the Eagles. We'll take a break, come back, and keep our conversation rolling. We also have our Now That's Funny segment to cap things off on the back end. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on The Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560, WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 445 on The Tim DeMoss Show. Derek Gunn, our guest, D. Gunn, longtime Philadelphia broadcaster, sportscaster, host, Comcast Sportsnet when they started off back in 1997, NBC Sports, and if you watch any Eagles games the last couple of decades and more, you've seen D. Gunn doing interviews, and uh, lots of them. Last August, that time came to an end, part of some cutbacks that NBC was doing, and uh, at the time, you started a podcast, I guess, called Gun on One, and some other endeavors. Is, is the podcast still going, or... Still doing it. Still doing a gun on one weekly podcast, okay. uh, interviewing players and other you know public figures. I'm still working for CBS Channel Three every Sunday. I'll be working for them through April fourth. Okay. And now that now that people are taking the COVID vaccinations, and you know supposedly according to the medical expert through the CBC, they're expecting it as the, I think he referred to it as open season on the vaccine by April because other companies now are mass producing it to catch up. And, you know, they feel that by June or July, most Americans will have had the vaccine or have access, unlimited access to it. 
So I'm assuming that a lot of things are going to start opening up then. So, again, wait upon the Lord to deliver what's next. And that's all I can do. Yeah. I can't sit there and worry about it because my negativity uh, would, would, would feed into my family. And, and you know, if, if anybody comes to my house, they will tell you it's like a nonstop circus here in my house daily between the dogs, the adults, <laughs> and, and the grandson. You know, and, you know, so it's like, why am I worrying about what I cannot control? God will take care of it when it's time. And right now, what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. When it's time for me to do something else, he will let me know. And when it's right, and God, when God provides it and is right, it's never wrong. Amen. I'm big on scriptures, but the, the, the phrase worry is like a rocking chair, you know, gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. Have you ever exactly. heard? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I could agree more. Yeah. And then on Twitter, folks want to look you up just to follow what's going on. Is what's the best way? Because you have a couple different Twitter handles, right? One for the show. One. One. For yeah. The... One. One is the real D Gun, uh, and the other one is Gun on One, the podcast. So you can follow me on either one of those. Okay. Uh, I'm always on there. Uh, you know, uh, talking football or you gr- showing gr- grilling videos, so on and so forth. Okay. Uh, when I'm outside grilling, so. You know, you can always find me somewhere. That's great. Last question, your, your dogs, because we just got a dog six, a few months ago. His name is Moose. He's a six-month-old yeah. uh, Labradoodle. What, what, what kind of dogs do you have? Well, one is an overgrown Chihuahua, all-white Chihuahua. This thing's about 11, 12 pounds. Most, most Chihuahuas are like three, four, five pounds. This one's like 11 pounds. He's not fat. He's just a little taller than, huh. than most Chihuahuas. The, the other one my, my son got about six years ago from a rescue in South Carolina. He's part terrier, part something else. Um, and then the bigger one, my dog, my, my, my daughter, my middle kid and my son-in-law, they, she, she, when she was living in Mexico, uh, back in 2018 and they decided when she was pregnant, they wanted to come back here. Um, prior to her, right after she got married in November of 2017, a couple of weeks after the fact, they're walking down the streets in Fresno, Mexico, and they come across this little puppy that was too small to be weaned, just laying on the street, a half dead, full of fleas. And my daughter said, I want to nurse this dog to health. So she sent me pictures, and, I, and I'm telling her husband, and I'm telling him, there's no way that she's giving up this dog. She said she's going to nurse it to health and find a good home for it. She's not giving up this dog. A few <laughs> weeks later, the dog gets bigger. She sent me pictures. I'm looking at the dog's paws, and I'm telling her, Tina, this is not going to be a small dog. Well, sure enough, the dog, by the time she got here, the dog was eight months old. It's like 75 pounds. And she's the friendliest dog, doesn't know her own strength. She's the friendliest dog in the world. She just loves to be around people. The problem is the two little dogs are plotting her death every day. <laughs> the, one, the one we got from South Carolina, he's only about 11 pounds, but he won't back down. He's, he's part terrier and part, I don't know if he's eagle or what, a uh, box of assorted nuts, I call him. Yeah. Um, he won't back down. He's always trying to sneak up behind her and bite her on her hind quarters and bite her <laughs> under her neck. And when she's tired of him, she'll just take, she can snap him in half. She would just take her paw and pin him to the ground and growl at him and let him go. You would think that would scare him off. No. He would come back, and next thing you know, he's got a mouthful of hair because he tried to bite her. And she's a long-haired dog, and she, he would bite her on, her, on her hair on, her, on the back end of her, her hind leg. So we can't get this dog to back down, but yet any sound, ruffling of papers, fireworks, uh, when, the fire, when, the, when the alarm goes, smoke detector goes off in the house, he shakes like a leaf. Yeah. Uh, so we can't figure this dog out. But... He's he's the most loving dog. When it comes to people, he will go home with anybody. He'll see, but when it comes to other animals or dogs, he's flunked he's flunked doggy daycare twice. We can't even send a dog to doggy daycare because he's flunked it twice. <laughs> what what are their he's names? Trying to attack. What are your dogs' names? Uh, 
the, the one is part terrier beagle is named PJ. Okay. But, uh, my son named him Pajama, so we called him PJ. All right. The other dog, the other dog's name is Yobi. We got him when he was a year old from a woman who was a nurse working overnight, overnight shifts, and when she would come home in the morning, she would sleep. So the dog basically was confined for like sixteen hours a day. Well, as you know, with yeah. with the Chihuahuas, they're high strung dogs. They need to be active. So his name was Yobi, um, and so he was already named when we got him. Um, and the dog, my my my, my daughter brought home from Mexico. Uh, his her name is um, Poppy Princess Poppy. I don't know why my daughter named her that, but we just call her Poppy. <laughs> seventy five so, pounder. Uh, <laughs> That's oh amazing. my goodness! Oh, she's seventy five pounds, and the two eleven pound dogs are trying to plot her death on a day. So we can't even have them in the same room. We have to move one dog to the other room to let the other dogs out. Now, occasionally, we just let them out at the same time. The little dog tries to catch the big one. She can, he can't catch her, and she thinks they're playing chase, and he. And when he, she tries to get up on him, he snarls his teeth at her, and then she'll just go a merry way. She's just had, she's she's part like I think she's part um, uh, what is what is the dog called um, lab and part a setter. Okay, beautiful all black all black long haired dog. She just wants to run like the wind and be around people, and she has no idea that this other dog's trying to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> is it more? Is it helpful to have more than one? Because it took me five kids to finally to say yes that our last child, they are, we'll have a dog. And sometimes people been like, should we get a second dog? Some people have said that. I'm like, no, 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 just one's fine. But do they take care of each other? I mean, do they occupy each other? Because I feel bad when the dog has no one to play with it. You know? So yeah, the two little ones, the, the two little ones are are, are are buddies. They play, romp around. They have to be near each other. Uh, the, the bigger one, she just wants to be around people. So, you know, okay. before we got these dogs, my wife had a beautiful, um, uh, what do you call these dogs? They, they look like uh, huskies, but they're smaller. Uh, Pomegranates. Uh, so she had one of those Pomeranians, and then we had one that was a fox terrier. And then when those two passed, um, uh, it was a rat terrier, excuse me. When those two passed, and my wife went a few years on not getting any more dogs. And then, of course, um, she let my son Connor into bringing his chihuahua into the house. And <laughs> after that, sure enough, she goes, well, you know, he needs a playmate. And I'm thinking, here we go. Here we go again. Yeah. So we got a, we got a second one. So That's <laughs> it's, funny. It's, That's it's, funny. It's nonstop entertainment in my house. I bet. It's just you've described it well. You've described it well. <laughs> so, well, uh, <laughs> Derek, it's a D-Gun, a pleasure talking with you. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And it's, uh, you know, WFIL has been here for years. Uh, we have a lot of national ministries on the air, some local ministries too. But part of the uh, the reason this show exists between four and five each weekday is to have a, a local uh, thing going with it. So that's where Leslie Goodell was on with us. Uh, Mayor Good joined us in studio last year. And we've had a lot of different guests of walks of life. And so you're certainly associated very much so with being Philadelphia. People hear the name like, oh, yeah, that he, that's Philly right there. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you check a lot of boxes, too. But, of course, you, your love for God and and uh, and the Eagles. I mean, <laughs> you really do check a lot of boxes, actually. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, well, God bless you. We'll look forward to seeing what God has for you next. It's exciting to know, you know you're you're in his hands. So. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was, it was fun. All right. Well, greetings to your wife and enjoy your weekend. You do the same. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye now. Derek D. Gunn. You can find him on uh, Twitter at Real D. Gunn. 
or also at Gun on One, G-U-N-N, one of Comcast Sportsnet's original hosts when it launched back in 1997 with the Eagles for many years as well, including with NBC Sports, and uh, now in a new chapter of life. Great to have him on the program. Quick break. We'll bring back our fun pun segment now. That's punny. On the other side, to wrap up our fine broadcast today, it's Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. 457 on the Tim DeMoss Show. Victoria, ready? I'm ready. Time for now. That's punny. Let's hear him. friend of mine said that thought I should get a book on positive thinking. I just don't think that's going to work. All right. My daughter asked me if I could put her shoes on. I said, I don't think they'll fit me. There you go. (laughs) I just bought the world's worst thesaurus, Victoria. Not only is it awful, it's awful. (laughs) Don't you hate it when someone answers their own questions? I do. My wife and I often laugh about how competitive we are, but I laugh more. (laughs) Kind of funny today. Thank you. Hey, Victoria, what did the mama cow say to the calf? What did she say? It's past your bedtime. (laughs) And last but not least, why did the clock get shushed in the library? Why? It was talking too loud. <laughs> and on that note, have a great weekend. Jim Axum, X413 Ministries, leads in prayer next. See you Monday. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.